0: Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, well, well. So welcome to a new episode of Growth Hacking Culture podcast. And this time, we are going to be discussing about collaboration at work, the challenges, and how to overcome them. Now, collaboration may not seem like a necessarily a big problem in corporates, but it can be a challenge. One study found that 86% of employees believe that collaboration is essential for success. Hmm. But only 53 of employees Feel that their organization is effective at collaboration. I would say that is even more, and there is even more data that shows the impact of collaboration in the outcomes or the bottom line of organizations. For instance, there is a study by the Stanford Graduate School of Business found that the collaboration can increase employee productivity by up to twenty percent. That's a good thing. A study by the University of California, Berkeley, found that companies that promote collaboration are more likely to be innovative and successful. Innovation. Hmm. And then the famous McKinsey, who found that companies with a culture of collaboration are more likely to have high employee engagement and customer satisfaction. Real, deep results. Now, in order to discuss about the topic, hmm, I am quite, quite lucky because I have Dr. Tanvi Gautam and the thing about Dr. Tanvi is that she is a specialist in organizational behavior. Uh, She's also a multi-award winning keynote speaker, executive coach, an author, and she's a senior faculty and program director in the famous Singapore Management University for executive development. Uh, And on top of this, Academical credentials, I may say that she has been working like, like la crème de la crème, as we say here, of organizations like Accenture, Goldman Sachs, MasterCard, Dyson, Coca-Cola, you name it. So you have been working with really a lot of the top organizations in the world. So I guess that that gives you not only this academical credential, but also this in hands-on experience about what we are talking about about today. Uh, She's also, by the way, the founder of Leadership Inc. Uh, And very, very soon we are going to have the new book of Dr. Tanvi, which is, by the way, about collaboration. But we will discuss a little bit more. Dr. Tanvi, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. I really wanted to speak to you. By the way, as far as I understood you are based in Singapore where it is the place also where you are teaching in university and you are also working. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about how did you end up in Singapore?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was not planned at all. Uh, We were living in the US for more than a decade and it was a very comfortable and blessed life. We had uh, Two car garage and we had a backyard and we had a stable job and everything was going fine and we said listen we are far too young to be living like we are 70 so why don't we do something that that will actually make us feel that we are still very young and alive like this is too much stability and I'm a big believer in disrupt yourself before you get disrupted. Mm. So we decided we would run a small experiment and maybe move to Singapore and see how it goes. And before you know it, uh, we decided that we wanted to make it home. And, uh, you know, now we love this place so much. And, you know, I work all over the world, but, you know, Singapore is uh, home now. So it started as an experiment, but became this big thing. And I'm really glad we did it.
0: Uh, doctor tanvi i really love the word experimenting about uh, in our uh, lives and i think we don't do it we don't do it enough um talking about experimentation so we organizations um uh do not spend enough time uh, experimenting on, in terms of what could be the most adapted or more agile way of working together um and somehow I feel that there is a dichotomy bit, uh, between what organizations really want so can we really have according to you and the experience that you got can we really have a collaborative environment uh, when at the same time we say we encourage this individual competition between employees saying if you want to get there you have to be better than the others uh, and at the same time work together isn't it like a little bit like contradicting uh, yeah,
1: well let me Let me say something before we dive into that. I think, uh, you know, my work is focused a lot on uh, leading in the age of disruption, leading in the age of networks. And I think there are some realities of living and working in this environment that we have to accept. And the first of that is learning to navigate paradoxes. So yes, it is a paradox, isn't it? On one Mm -hmm. hand, you have individual contributors and then you want them to collaborate as well. I think that the two can coexist, but you have to pay attention to the dynamic and the interplay between the individual goals and the group goals. If you set up individual goals in a manner that are linked and rewarding the collaborative goals there is not going to be that conflict. Mm. But I think most companies don't do that. What they do is they tend to mostly focus on individual goals and individual milestones while talking about collaboration. And that is where the clash comes in. And it's it's a dynamic balance that needs to be taken care of. Um, there was an article by Dr. Heidi Gardner. She teaches at Harvard and it's about how do you set up a scorecard for people who are working in teams and still being asked to collaborate where weightage is given to individual goals and group goals at the same time so that they're not in conflict with each other. So I will not say that I'm a subject matter on the expertise of metrics and scorecards, but I can tell you that there is a need to pay attention that one is not playing off against the other. Mm. And you're right. In a lot of organizations, that is how it happens we you know it's that the famous article uh, rewarding uh, x while asking for y uh, and then we wonder why it's not happening well, it's because there is a clash
0: listen uh, you you made me think and, and and i think that your comments prompted me in some of the companies that you have been with whom you have been collaborating like goldman sachs accenture so we are talking about um, organizations that really driving for the best and where people are the Selected from top universities, and at the same time, they want to have ambitious employees. Is mm. it more difficult for people to for organizations in Goldman Sachs, like Goldman Sachs or Accenture, to to adapt to a more collaborative environment than if you compare it, like I don't know, with Coca Cola? Let's say where it is like an average, good, healthy level of ambition, personal ambition.
1: Um, I don't want to make generalizations uh, about an entire organization because I think depending on the country and the leadership and the team and all of that I think it can differ but let's talk about uh, can highly ambitious people thrive in a highly collaborative environment yes Um, I think that's the question you are you really are trying to dial into and I think that if you are able to link um, Individual ambition to collective ambition is the only way it will happen. So let me tell you something which may shock some people. Uh, you know, I'm, I've am i written this book, Deep Collaboration, right? The one that's coming out later next year. And I have mentioned this story in the book. I did not believe in this idea of collaboration when I started my career. I felt like it was a complete waste of time. I needed to get my job done. Can everybody please do their job and can we like, You know just take care of our own thing and and get it out of the way so you might say well how do you go from someone who would kind of roll their eyes when they said the teamwork makes the dream work it's like yeah right like half the people are slacking off other half i you know you can't get along with and you know it is so much to manage i can't deal with it you know and 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 now i'm being on the other end talking about deep collaboration because here's the truth anything that is worthwhile and anything that is at a large scale that's going to impact the world positively, there is no way you can do it as an individual contributor. I am, and I was as ambitious as the other person when it comes to my goals. But what I have realized is, is that famous African saying, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I do want to go far. And yes, those people who don't have that mindset of understanding that the life of impact can only be had when we come together as a group to collaborate because each person has something to contribute, they will probably never be able to reconcile that dynamic between individual ambition and collective ambition. But our our impact on the world depends on carrying people with us, making a contribution together. It's funny because if if you were to talk to me in 1990s and I'm dating myself here when I was in the corporate world I would be the person who'd be like do I have to be on a team like can I just like do this on my own or like what do you mean team building workshop like you know I was so jaded about this concept of teamwork but I have delivered some of my best work because of the collaboration that I have had with my clients and their teams and so I am a living example of when you start seeing the potential of what collaboration can do for you, you'll never look back, never.
0: Mm. Uh, Tanvi, I, I really relate to what, uh, what you're saying. Uh, and you make me think about our personal, I don't know, cultural background. Let's put it that way. Like, I mean, I, I grew up in an environment where my family was pushing me to do the best. And when I was younger, Totally. I was completely collaboration, what? Just, just do it. Um. Now, maybe uh, upbringing or the cultural background that uh, that we come from can have an influence on the way we perceive the world, especially when we are young. I come from a, a Jewish cultural background, so that makes that influences. I also know that the growth of, of India has made it that everybody thinks about, hey, I have to make it to the top. and. In fact, it has been positive because thanks to that, we see many CEOs of top corporations around the world who have bosses who are Indian origin. Now, if we compare it a little bit with other cultures that are a little bit more collaborative, let's take the Nordics, for instance. Uh, So is it what I'm trying to say here is is it more difficult to go to the other side of the to convert into a collaborative work? style when you come from a cultural background that has mapped your brain, has wired your brain into performance or individual performance orientation?
1: Mm. I think that it is definitely difficult, but it is not impossible. Mm. I don't think you can use culture as an excuse to not step up and embrace what is a necessary skill. So perhaps you may need some work in understanding the importance of this. And you might need some skills that you may not necessarily have had, but that goes for almost everything by just collaboration. It's kind mm-hmm. of like saying, I grew up in a, a, you know an environment where AI had nothing to do with anything. So now, you know do I have to learn it? Yes, you have to learn it because that is what you need. So whatever you need, whatever it takes. And I don't think that people who come from very collectivist cultures, say for example, some Southeast Asian cultures, um, or maybe say the Chinese culture that are brought up to think about the group first, then that they are in the individual, that they necessarily have an easier time in collaboration. I think they struggle with a different skill set of collaboration. Collaboration requires a huge number of skills, right? And so you could end up struggling with a different set no matter where you come from. But yes, I think culture does play a role, but I, Try not to over index on it, particularly, maybe it's because my clients that I work with are so cosmopolitan and global in nature that at any given point in time, it's a multicultural team that's working together. Uh, At any given point in time, the leaders could come from Latin America and the team is primarily Southeast Asian or vice versa. So ultimately you need to acknowledge it, that yes, it plays a role, but it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not like a hereditary characteristic. It's not like, oh, your height is 5'6 and it's going to stay 5'6 for the rest of your life. No, you can grow as an individual as a leader from no matter what your orientation. But I mean, you've got me thinking, I wonder, I just wonder whether my early career, uh, you know, leanings were determined by what you are saying. I, I don't think I thought about that correlation before. Maybe, maybe not. Um, the important part is I am not that now.
0: Indeed, indeed. (laughs) We, we change it is sometimes a natural progression or we can call it wisdom. We become wiser with the age. That's the only benefit of the age. (laughs) Um, listen, I, despite the fact that many human resources, people have a psychology background, like for instance, I I do remember that I, I did a quick study in the Middle East, like there was 60% of. HR people who had any type of psychology background. Um, Despite that, there is a lot of misconceptions in the corporate environment, including human resources people who understand human psychology in terms of about, in terms of how to foster collaboration or what it is really collaboration, the definition itself. Like we cannot be as simplistic as saying, help each other. Help each other, it means, It doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong to the other. We are doing it just for the hell of it. And so what do you think could be the most common misconceptions that you have encountered about collaboration?
1: Oh my God, (laughs) we (laughs) could do the podcast about this. I think first of all, um, collaboration, and a lot of companies, people believe if you bring a team together and you give them a target and, uh, you know, put them in a Microsoft team meetings that by some magic collaboration will start happening. Yeah.
0: The magic the of Microsoft. Microsoft <laughs> the
1: magic of Microsoft, right? <laughs> because uh, that's a very transactional approach. You will get coordination, but you will not get collaboration. There's a big difference between coordination and collaboration. Coordination is, okay, fine, I've done my task and I've sent you the file. now you do what you have to. And if you have an issue, you come back to me and we can argue about whether it's the right approach or wrong, but that's, to me, that's more coordination. That's not collaboration. Collaboration does involve a sense of um, a tied uh, ambition and a common sense of purpose and a common identity that most organizations don't spend time uh, creating you know, I'm almost uh, every conference I speak at, they're like, oh, we are one team, one company. And I'm like, are you? I mean, uh, I see the backstage of so many organizations. And I think their heart is in the right place when they talk about one company, one uh, team, but do they live that aspiration? I'm not so sure about that. Uh, And uh, so that's one, just because you've got um, you know you've put a team together and given them a goal that doesn't mean collaboration will happen on its own it has got to be nurtured it's like a seed you plant it you water it you you know when it grows you prune it you you, you add fertilizer to it there's it's, it's a team is a living breathing entity and you have to treat it as a living breathing entity and not just you know a, a bunch of roles that have been put together to meet some target somewhere right so i think that's one of the one of the the myths i i also think that you know we over index on thinking that if we just put a bunch of smart talented people together that the job will get done it doesn't work like that you know this famous H, you're talking about hr you know the hr people will say oh people are our biggest uh, you know asset or they are our biggest competitive advantage and i'm like no people are not your biggest competitive advantage hmm. Good people are your biggest competitive advantage. so are you working on creating them and retaining them and growing them? So there is a difference between people are our biggest asset to good people and yes, they have to be you know nurtured along the way. Are you are you doing enough of that? Are people in the team feeling supported? Are they feeling resourced? Have you given them adequate resources? Have you given them you know a, a, a decision making structure? Have you given them uh, you know an understanding about, you know how they should be respecting boundaries of each other there's so much that can derail a collaboration that if you don't don't and that's in some ways was the impetus for the book right because the book is about the five conversations you must have if you're thinking of collaborating and most people don't have the collaboration conversations they just jump head first into collaboration so i suppose the biggest myth is pulling people together in a team no matter how brilliant is not going to lead to collaboration. And to your point, if they are, are smart, talented people who are over ambitious, and you're not linking the goals to the collective uh, aspiration, then collaboration will still suffer. So there is so much to work on to get that dynamic of individual and teams right, that um, a, a team in name and a team in action can be sometimes very, very different things.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I just, it just crossed my mind. Did you interview like not so long time ago? Or, yeah, maybe one or two years ago, like Adam Grant? No, we were just speaking at the same conference. So maybe ah, that okay. was- <laughs> that's... That's something that came to my... You were talking about some words and then it came to my mind that, oh, that's a, that's a conversation that I saw somewhere like in, in a video somewhere. I don't uh-huh. remember exactly where you made me think about about that and so we have been discussing about these common misconceptions that are anchored in fact in human psychology and I, i thought also about adam grant because he talks a lot about the human psychology effects that produces in terms of productivity and also into this uh what happens when people are in a competitive uh, competitive environment and they are not working together. So smart people doesn't pull it out. And there has been a lot of research. Uh, I think that there was this, wasn't it like um, an experiment that somebody did with like spaghettis spaghetti and marshmallows and putting together like Harvard people together with uh, some kindergarten teachers or something like that. And my God, so the more people are like, working towards an individual goal the less performance you will you will get out out of that um if for anyone just google this story about the spaghetti marshmallow experiment it's really quite eye opening um what have you seen as uh, as a practice that people can try to either copy or adapt to their environments in order to make more collaborative uh, environment?
1: I think that uh, what really helps in a collaborative environment is a number of things. First is being very clear about the reason for collaboration beyond just numbers and market share and left brain data on why we are here to collaborate. Because as long as the agenda is, oh, we are here to collaborate because we need to increase market share by 10%, it's not a very human way of talking about what this collaboration will really need to. If you want people to step into the collaborative mindset, you have to invite them to have a human conversation about why are we doing this? And ultimately, what's the downstream impact of what we are doing? Mm -hmm. And so if you don't connect the team at a human level, you will not be able to get the best contribution, the best collaboration for people. So I'll give you an example. In some of the clients that I work with, when we begin our work, so I do a lot of work on storytelling, strategic storytelling. Mm -hmm. So we do some of these story circles where I invite the leaders to, you know, tell stories. And I am always surprised by how there are people who will look at her colleague and say you know i have worked with you for 10 years and i did not know this about you
0: mm.
1: and now that i know this about you um everything makes sense like there was this one lady who shared the story of how she was one of six children growing up and they were very uh not very financially well off and so there, there came a time when she had to stay out of school because her parents couldn't afford it. And, and she told her parents that no, please, I really do want to study. I'd like to study and uh, I'll do my best and I will always be on top of class. And, you know, they said, okay, you know, we will we'll do what we can to make it happen. And she became fanatical about, you know, coming first in class and, you know, acing on everything and, you know, dotting every I and crossing every T because, and then, you know, she was also going for scholarships, etc. So she became this hyper performance focused person, and when she was telling the story, it was the first time that she actually articulated it to herself as to the pressure she has always felt around, you know, being number one, and everything has to be done in a precise manner because that feeling of I'm my world is going to fall apart if I if I don't mm. has carried on with her, and her colleagues, and and she she kind of broke down when she was talking about it, and her colleagues looked at her and said, you know. Till now, and and then there was a very authentic conversation. Like, till now, we used to think of you as this, you know, slave driving and, you know, always kind of this uptight person. But behind that uptightness, we see someone who faced so much to get where she has to, that this has become a norm for you right? And they suddenly saw the human face behind that. Now, imagine if we had not done the storytelling session Mm -hmm. and everybody's like, oh, collaborate. Like, oh, do you want to collaborate with Amy? Oh my God, Amy. Now talk about Amy micromanaging everything. You know, she must want everything done on time. Oh my God, Amy, you know, because you don't know Amy as a person, as a human being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we pretend like we don't have experiences and histories and backgrounds that you know, end up impacting the way we interact with other people. We assume we have shared backgrounds, we don't. And anybody who's listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to go and find out a little bit about the people you're collaborating with. And you will be amazed and blown away with some of the stories of their lives. And with that newfound respect and the human connection, you know, the line that I often say is, uh, once I know you for who you are, I will never treat you for what you are. What you are, uh, vice president of sales, head of marketing, chief of innovation, but who you are is the person behind the title. And once we find out who these people are, collaborating with them becomes a very different experience. Very different experience. Uh,
0: I, sorry, sorry. Go on. I I, I just interrupted you.
1: <laughs> no, no. I was I was saying that this this is something that I have seen you know create such powerful teams such unstoppable teams because the starting point is very different
0: yep there are two things that stay in my in my head from one side what you said it is that purpose it is important to start the the, the journey to, towards collabor- uh, collaboration and the thing behind is that generating relatedness generating emotions creates um, meaning to what we what we do we have to do collaboration not because as you said like higher market share but because we are doing it for the good of the community our community could be our peers at, uh, at work and i like the fact that this is how you relate to in fact to, to to what what you do your purpose this is uh, teaching strategic storytelling that's the, the the necessity It's not about better communicating like in um, a <clears throat> pragmatic uh, scale is to have impact influence for the good of of the people because we follow things that are emotionally connecting with us that's the first part of what i took on what you say the second part you, when you were talking about the example of this lady uh, that was named as a slave uh, driver, it made me think about the one of the most common biases is that when a lady does something that it could be equal in terms of what a man does, she will be judged at least three to four times harsher than a man. And the, the, the human biases enter into a combination, the human, the psychology is embedded in everything that we do in the, in the, in the workplace, either from collaboration to the perception of people that we don't always think that this boss, this senior manager, this lady, or this man can have stories behind that can make us very human. But if they had this opportunity to openly talk about it, if there was an environment that is more collaborative, where, where I feel safe, to talk about it, like when we are in the kitchen talking with my family, then we can be more open and enhance even collaboration by sharing a little bit of our personal stories.
1: Yeah, but you see the whole workplace has been, its uh, it wasn't meant for uh, containing and honoring humanity. Workplaces were meant to be around machines and efficiency. And keep emotions out of the workplace. When I began my PhD in the US, I was shocked to learn that the study of emotions in the workplace was seen as something worthy of studying and researching only in like about a decade ago. So I'm talking of like in the late 80s. In the Mm -hmm. late 1980s. Because otherwise, before this was the the myth of the rational economic man. What have emotions got to do with anything? Mm -hmm. Leave emotions out the door. You know, Be balanced in your thinking. And there is research to prove now that we actually are feeling creatures first. We feel first before we act. And we justify our feelings when we think about it. So I think a transition that we have to make in the workplace is to acknowledge that human beings are people who are driven more by emotions than logic. That is not to say throw logic out of the window, but we need to have conversations around that and and learn to manage emotions. I think the entire work by, by, uh, by Daniel Goleman on emotional intelligence was part of that movement where we were acknowledging that there is a need for discussing emotions in the workplace. But it's a skill that we have to learn. And there are some people, and going back to what you were saying earlier, some cultures, that mm-hmm. are not very comfortable with the display of emotions. They, and they don't know how to express their own emotions. And they don't know how to handle the emotions of another person, because that wasn't a part of the cultural upbra- upbringing. So they you know, have to be taught on how to. I mean, the number of executive coaching clients who I get, it's interesting, like, technically really smart, on top of their game, right? Being seen as a high potential, being seen as in line for the top job, et cetera. Mm-hmm can you please talk to them about you know like not having such rough edges and just like you know being yeah. able to get along with the people the collaboration part of it and i'm like you know nobody wakes up in the morning and says how do i have rough edges and how do i rub people the wrong way but if you're still doing it then we need to talk about you know why do you not have that capacity why do you have a blind spot where you are not attuned and that word attuned is a very important word. You're not attuned to the emotions of the people around you. You're not attuned to the experience that the team is having around you as they are, you are asking them to reach you know, higher, faster, and better. And in some ways, the reason why the book is called Deep Collaboration is because at the surface level of collaboration, we are a Navy SEAL team. Come in, get in, get out, get the job done. But most organizations are not Navy SEALs, mm-hmm. right? Our performance, especially over large-term projects, restructuring projects, projects where we are looking at transformation to involve emotions at the core of it, do require us to pay attention to the human element of collaboration, not just the transactional or the technical element of collaboration. And so, Leaders will have to learn a new vocabulary, whether it's managing their emotions or managing the emotions of others, whether it is understanding why people behave the way they do without dismissing them because of biases or she is like this or, or or men are like that or women are. Because by the way, can I just say this and then I'll stop? Yes, there are biases against women, but let me tell you, there are biases against men as well. Okay? And I don't think that we do justice to men. We talk a lot about women in the workplace and and, and and motherhood in the workplace, because yes, women are primarily in a caregiving role. But I know of dads who are who are single fathers. I know of, of, of husbands who've got you know, spouses with disability, et cetera. Mm. So we need to give men also an equal opportunity. So the problem is there are enough biases for both sides and we need to address it.
0: Exactly. We are all, all humans. Um- Tanvi, the example that you just mentioned about the Navy SEALs, and I mean, I just correlated with, with the title of your upcoming book, uh, Deep Collaboration. It is it is quite impressive because collaboration in the Navy SEALs, in, in my storyline, comes by, by the fact that people have in the Navy SEALs have to count on each other. The survival, your survival depends on the guy just next door. And so it is a collaboration that is almost... Synergetic, that is all anchor. And of and of course, we cannot say at work my life depends on my colleague, but at least that if we have this feeling of counting on each other, mm. that's a different meaning than just I will give you a hand on your project. By the way, when I have the time, I will come and do one hour with you, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. No, 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 you're absolutely right. Uh, when I was referring to the Navy SEAL analogy, it was more around, you know, that the front end of it that we see just get together, get the job done, get get away. But the truth is that Navy SEAL teams are so, and I'm going back to that word, attuned to each other and they work under so much pressure Mm. that you almost have to have this mind meld where you know exactly moving in one direction in the real version of one teams to make it happen. The trouble is organizations want the efficiency of the Navy SEALs without doing the work that the Navy SEALs have done at the back.
0: Exactly, totally, totally, Tandy, totally. And that drives me to my next question. So today, you ask um, any HR person, so how do we improve collaboration? So they will tell you, oh, let's do a team building exercise. Let's do some training. Uh, the, The type of solutions to teach and by teaching, I mean, in terms of corporate outcome, we, we mean practice, do it, not know about it. Uh, so how can we, is there any alternative to these team building exercises that by the way, more and more people are hating and these trainings that are, are boring and I mean that we will forget in after one week, probably only 5% will remember something out of a training. Is there any alternative to learn and practice collaboration?
1: Right. So, you know, there's a very, very um, interesting quote, which I I really like, which says, um, there is no point in your teaching if you are not walking the teaching. Your walking is the teaching, Mm -hmm. right? So that's kind of like, don't talk the talk, walk the talk. And I think that a lot of collaboration uh, is done because of the signals that the leaders send around what they expect in collaboration. Now, if, I, if you are in a team and a leader walks in and says, all right, listen, we really need to get this done and you know all vacation is canceled and if I need to call you on the weekend, then you must come into the... Do you think that anybody is going to oppose that? No, because the leader has set the tone for that is what he's expecting out of everybody. And, and that's how it kind of gets done. So I think a lot of it depends on having the role models and the prototype of leadership, where they are not talking about collaboration, but rather they are living the collaboration spirit in the team. So, and, and you know, training programs, I don't have anything against training programs. It's just that how do you embed that into the day-to-day process of the organization is, is key. And so for example, Sometimes when I'm working with leadership teams and, you know, they'll spend two days with me and then everybody's like really inspired and how we want to do things differently and et cetera, et cetera. But there are times when I will suggest a cadence where I will actually check in with the entire team for a good three or six months, once a month. It's just a check-in meeting. Hmm. You know, you had said we are going to operate in X manner. Are we doing it? If we are not doing it, why are we not doing it? Because it needs constant reminder. It needs constant reinforcement. And so there are ways in which you can set up nudges and ways in which you can set up reminders where people uh, keep re- you know, remembering why they are doing what they're doing and how they want to do it. So you know, it, it's, it struck me. So I used to do some work for uh, Shell, which is the oil company. And no matter where we had a meeting with Shell, Every single meeting, whether we were like uh, in a classroom or we were on for offsite or whatever, or on, you know, one of those retreats or anything like that, they would always start with a safety briefing. Hmm. These are these the staircases, this is the exit. And I'm like, I mean, come on, like how many times are you going to say, But the important part was not just that they were starting with the safety briefing, but the fact that that signal was being sent in every single meeting that safety, is the priority over here.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: And so it's all about, you know, creating um, an execution framework where you, you automatically are nudging people towards the kind of behaviors that you want to encourage versus send them once and bring them out. So you send them for a strategic thinking workshop, Sure. But are you creating some sort of a framework where people have the opportunity to practice that strategic thinking on a daily basis? Yeah, so I think that's the broken connection. It's not that we don't need training it's that we need the translation and embedding of that training on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Otherwise, it's like, um, you know, you've enjoyed the great session and, you know, you have time off and uh, now you degenerate to whatever you were doing. It's very few times that they retain that and
0: practice it. Mm. I I like this idea of of notches and and you relate it directly with the role modeling aspect of of senior managers. So in order to protect ourselves, and this is something that is wired in our our brain to, to survive. In fact, we need to mime whoever has the biggest power so if that person is showing us certain behaviors that are, are in line with collaboration we know that this is good to be done no matter if you have it in all the websites pages of, of your company or all the posters in uh, in the office nobody will follow it as long as somebody and or the full senior management are doing behaving in that way so it will be naturally natural to 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 mine and I guess we underestimate very often the role of uh, of middle managers in order to be the amplifiers the ones who are constantly sending the reminder and using any occasion as you said to because we are living in a moment in moment of stress we have too too much work there needs to be somebody who reminds us that Oh, this is the right way to do it. Exactly the Shell approach about uh, safety is every occasion is the good occasion to talk about something that really matters for us. And I guess it is good also to when there is a performance uh, appraisal to reward the good behaviors, not only the results, but also the how you did it. And if collaboration is one of your core values, so if you are not rewarding that behavior, then that means that you are just wasting money. Like like hell, you shouldn't even talk. Put it on a on a website if if it is not.
1: You know this is something so important that you are talking about, Ivan. Um, it's it's interesting because we have to be very clear about what we mean when we talk about uh, rewarding collaborative behavior you see what happens on teams sometimes is let's assume we are in a team and we you know we are, we are all supposed to collaborate and you come up with a plan and I'm like, Ivan, that's not gonna work because of ABC. Mm. And, and then you come back and then we are in a team meeting and then somebody else comes up and I'm like, yes, but we have seen that we have thrown resources at this in the past and here's why it may not work. Now, come appraisal time, what do you think is the feedback going to be about me as a collaborator? Oh, Tammy doesn't like to collaborate. She always, <laughs> but it's not that i don't like to collaborate it is that i'm actually trying to make sure that the goal of our collaboration gets somewhere now my style may need correction mm. for sure i mean you know stop chopping everybody's ideas down and you know have have a constructive way of putting it but so don't start evaluating people before you have clarified those behaviors and more importantly supported those behaviors mm. You, you start testing before before the time has, you know, they have had time to learn it and imbibe it and practice it. Then you're not going to get the results, right? So I think there is a few steps. Definitely you should reward it. You should, uh, you know, evaluate and you should track it. But there's a whole bunch of stuff you need to do before you track and evaluate, which is train and support, you know, clarify and align. Yeah. And if you have done that, then and only then go in the direction of evaluation because uh, otherwise it means different things to different people.
0: Totally, totally. Tanvi, you are, thank you for reframing me because yes, you made me think about something that is quite in, uh, important. If it is not individualized, the meaning of collaboration, because for somebody in sales or in marketing may mean something else than for, for someone in a, in accounting, because the way that the interactions, the uh, the uh the framework that uh that we are living in is is different. We have to contextualize what does it mean collaboration for me as an individual in my while doing invoices, for instance. Instead of just giving a big like value to follow, it needs to be reflected into real behaviors that I can apply as a person, and, and it has to be related to me, not like for the full organization. Um, Tanvi, we are almost. Reaching the end of this uh, of this good discussion about uh, about collab- collaboration uh, at work, the challenges and how to overcome them, and you have mentioned you have your upcoming book um, "Deep Collaboration" that is going to be released early into 2024. Can you tell me a little bit more about what should we expect and for whom it it is this book?
1: Right. So deep collaboration is um, focused on teams that are trying to collaborate across silos. And, and in a lot of my organizations, you know, with the digital transformation and business model, uh, reengineering, etc., et cetera, we are expecting more and more people to be working across silos. So, you know, you could have commercial working with supply chain, you could have HR working with IT, you could have, you know, marketing working with, with HR. I mean, there's To move up the value chain, we have to, you know, come together to collaborate outside our silos. But nobody knows how to do it Mm. because we were never taught to do it. God knows we have enough trouble collaborating within our function. Forget about collaborating across functions, (laughs) right? So, but here's the thing. From collaborating within a function to collaborating across functions to then collaborating with your partners and collaborating across ecosystems, is a linear skill that you have to learn and so this book is an invitation for companies to help equip their people to learn to collaborate across silos because the companies that will dominate in the future are the ones who will be collaborating with partners in the ecosystem but if you can't do collaboration internally let me assure you you will not be able to do it externally so let's let's start preparing our people for what lies ahead right and so Can this be applied to within teams, teams that are not working across silos? Yes, definitely. Because it's a higher order concept. Mm -hmm. It can be applied to to situations that may be a step behind as well. Mm -hmm. But basically, it focuses on five types of conversations that you need to have with people on the other side of the fence before you start collaborating. Because in the absence of these five conversations, you're going to trip up. And then you're going to become one more statistic on why cross-silo collaboration fails 70% of the time. It's not cross-silo collaboration failed. It's that you failed to prepare for cross-silo collaboration. So these conversations, they're very straightforward. Each chapter has got a reason for why this conversation is needed to be had. It has examples of my clients and case studies from my coaching clients as to how, when they ignored this conversation, what happened. And then there is a set of questions about okay. Start with these five or seven or eight questions to get the ball rolling. So it's a very very applied book because people who are doing cross silo collaboration they are already under a lot of pressure. They don't have time to sit and read like some theory about something. So it's it's a very applied book. Uh, you know you can you can read it and you can start working with it tomorrow morning.
0: Okay, so. What I'm going to do, one, because you got me interested about the topic, I we definitely need to to uh, to learn more. Um. So, if I understood correctly, there is a page where I can go and put myself on the waiting list, so that when there is the book, I can get to know it. Is that correct, Dave? That
1: that is correct, and um, we will be creating a set of downloads and resources etc also to go with the book so if this is a topic that you're interested in and by the way if you're not interested in it that itself is a little problematic I feel <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, So, you need to go to uh, www.leadersupgraded.com which is my website you know because everybody needs an upgrade everybody loves an upgrade so leadersupgraded.com forward slash deep d-e-e-p uh, because the book is called Deep Collaboration. So leadersupgraded.com forward slash deep. All news around the book, all downloads, all resources can be found uh, in that book. And uh, you can also go there to get in touch with me and let me know what you thought of this great conversation that I think is, uh, is something that I actually learned a lot from just talking to you, Ivan.
0: Thank you, Tanvi. I will put definitely the, uh, the link for the waiting list. I will put also your profile, LinkedIn profile. Uh, that would be amazing if somebody has uh, additional questions about collaboration or or even more, because I think that you are like an encyclopedia of, of organizational behavior. Uh, so I think that this could be useful.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and thank you for inviting me to your podcast.
0: Thank you to your time. It was lovely to have you today.